Thank you, Ruben. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I am hopeful that spring is coming. I said that last week. I'm going to keep saying it until I'm sure that it's here. But it's, it's good to be here. Um, we've been studying the book of Matthew that records the life of Jesus. And, and every month we've adopted a prayer that is from the book of Matthew. So our prayer for this month is, Lord, send workers into your harvest. Yes, send workers into your harvest. And in Matthew, Jesus tells all kinds of parables. They're just stories that illustrate about God's kingdom and his harvest, about going to work in his harvest, about who is rewarded in his harvest, about how to sow, all kinds of parables. And we're going to look at two of them this Sunday. Um, I just have to tell you, as, as I've been studying these parables about the kingdom of God and God's harvest, it's, in many ways, it's kind of been a breath of fresh air from all the other messages I get during the week. Uh, I am a news junkie. I don't know if anybody else is. I am. Um, and this week I, I saw a report that the CDC released uh, that 30% of teenage girls have thought about dying by suicide. Yeah. And three out of five say they struggle persistently with sadness or hopelessness. And um, this news report, it kind of talked about the effects of social media on our youth and how as social media increase usage, then depression also increases. And it told the story of just one girl. And it was a girl, she was, I don't know, she was maybe 8 or 10 years old, and she was with her friends just goofy dancing, like just being silly. And it was posted and she got lots of likes, and she thought, oh, this is fun, and so she started doing other goofy dances and things like that, and, you know, at first it just starts as getting likes from friends and family, and then seeing if you can please other people at school that you kind of know, and soon it just evolves into this addiction of getting likes from complete strangers, and as she got older... The kind of dances that would get likes changed. The thinner she got, the more likes she got, became an eating disorder that nearly took her life. And I just thought about that, and I'm like, oh my goodness. It's just, it's kind of an extreme snapshot of what happens to so many of us. Like an extreme example But how we're constantly bombarded with these messages, whether it be through social media or other ways, of that we are just not enough, and we don't have enough, and we need to be more and do more and and get approval, because this is what other people say are good. And in a culture that constantly peddles in the pointless, Jesus' message about the kingdom of God is a breath of fresh air. It is a breath of fresh air. That there's so much more for us to live for. So, this is the word of God. It's the word of life. So let's read it together. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 14. There should be one in a basket around you, hopefully. 
Jesus, he's talking about the end of time when he's going to return. And God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And he will rule there, the God of love. And um, love will be the law of the land. There will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. So, of course, God has to decide who he's going to let into his kingdom. Because he can't let people in who are going to hurt other people. Right? That's common sense. Now, if, if you think about it and you think, well, shoot. <laughs> I've hurt people. Can't guarantee I'm never going to hurt somebody again. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why we all need a Savior. That's why we all need a Savior. And that's why Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. But we need to not only accept that, but we need to accept the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit come and live in us and surrender to the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit can make us the best version of ourselves. People who one day can live in a place ruled by love. Alright, so Jesus is talking about how... um, How we spend our time here will determine if we get into that kingdom or not. So let's listen to his story. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to the third, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Now, in the original language, and in maybe some of your Bibles, it will say he gave five talents of gold, two talents of gold, one talent of gold. That word talent is actually the Greek word talent. It's not the English word talent. And scholars debate how much a talent of gold is actually worth. Um, On the low end, they'll say it's like one year's pay. On the high end, some of them say it's 20 years' pay. So, you know, the guy who gets one talent of gold, at minimum, he's getting a year's pay in a lump sum. At best, he's getting like 20 years' pay in a lump sum. In other words, this is a whole lot of freaking money. You know, <laughs> this, this master, he is generous and he's trusty, right? And what's more is he's, it says that he trusts them each to their own ability, So that means that he knows his servants. He knows them well to know, okay, what is going to inspire them and challenge them and what's going to be overwhelming to them. Have you ever wondered, like, man, why did God not entrust me with that? And, we, you know, you think of someone else. I've done that. And then I thought, you know, if I if I had that and if I did that, I would be so overwhelmed. Like, that would just completely stress me out. God knows how we're built, and he entrusts generously to each one of us according to how we're created, according to our ability. Okay, so verse 16. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. (coughs) After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. I think it's interesting that he goes for a long time. He does not micromanage them. 
You know, when um, we talk about like retirement investments, any good financial advisor will tell you to stay in for the long haul, right? Because the stock market goes like this, and don't sell when it's dropping, <laughs> like you might be tempted to do. But you stand for the long haul because even though the stock market goes like this, it kind of goes like this, right? This master has made an investment, and he knows his servants are gonna <laughs> they're gonna have some failures. Not everything's going to work out, but if they keep at it, they will learn and ultimately have a profit. So he stays away a long time. I just think this is the kind of guy that I want to work for, you know? Who, who gets me, who, who entrusts a lot of responsibility. Have you ever had a job that was, you just like, man, I feel like I'm just kicking dirt around in a circle. It is meaningless. Have you ever had a job where your boss was like, here, you can do this, and you're like, ah, you know, and it's just too much and over, overwhelming? This boss, he's like the sweet spot of giving meaningful work to do and trusting you, then kind of not micromanaging. Let's see what happens when he settles the accounts. Verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is a good gig. The implication here is that he gets to keep his profit. He never actually turns it over, and the master never takes the profit. He just says, you did a good job. I'm going to give you more things to be in charge of. That's nice. All right. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, two bags of gold, oh, that's good, good job. Did you see the guy who brought back five? He doesn't do that. He, he, he does not compare them at all. There is no hint of comparing one servant to the other servant. He uses the exact same language to congratulate them. He's not concerned with who has done more. He's just concerned with, did they do the best with what they had? That's it. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, Here's what belongs to you. Just pause there. What does he mean by when he says, you've harvested where you've not sown and you've gathered where you've not scattered seed? This is, um, this is saying, you're a wealthy guy and you've never had to work for it. 
That's, that's what this is. You, you buy a field, you don't even have to plant seed. Things just pop up out of the ground. You know, when you get to harvest, you don't have to work for it. And because it comes so easy for you, you think it should come so easy for everyone else. And he says he's afraid the master has unrealistic expectations. Because after all, he's so successful, so everybody should be so successful. You're a hard man. You have unrealistic expectations. You don't even have to work for your wealth. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, huh, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. This is the first time he takes a bag of gold. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master, he doesn't buy the third servant's story. He just doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy that the servant was actually afraid. He doesn't call him, you fearful servant. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. Lazy. Why? Because the servant obviously wasn't concerned with serving the master at all. Like, if he had even the slightest interest in the master's concerns, he would have put the money in the bank. But he wasn't. So he viewed the master's blessings as a curse. You get that? The master's generous, gives him a very good thing, and he just views it as a curse that he's going to be judged by, and so he buries him. Master also called him wicked because he's believed lies about the master. He calls the master a hard man. Is that true? It's not true. It's not true at all. This master is exceedingly generous. He knows his servants. He takes care to know them. He trusts them. He doesn't micromanage them. He gives them permission to fail and learn lessons. He rewards them. They get to keep their own profits. And then he says, come and share in your master's happiness. That's, um, that's inheritance language. That's like, this is what I have. Come and share in it. And if you're sharing your wealth with people, that's like... That's family language. You share your inheritance with family. This master is not a hard man at all. He doesn't harvest where he hasn't sown. He's like, really, that's what you think of me, huh? You think I harvest where I don't even sow seed? You think I'm so hard? Then why don't you at least put the money in the bank? He, call, he calls them out. And what's very clear from this parable is that that third service, he didn't really know the master at all. He didn't know the master. And this parable is like a roller coaster ride. 
I mean, for us, when we think about it, we see what the master does with the first two servants, and it's like, woo, yay, this is awesome. And then we read about the third servant, and it's like, yeeks. You know, like, there's, a, there's incredible promise here, but there's also a warning, right? There's a warning that some of us who think we know God, some of us who even think we may be serving God, we don't really know him at all. That maybe we believe some lies about God. In this parable, Jesus is tackling those lies. Lies that God is hard. That he isn't generous. He's just waiting to judge. Lies that it's impossible to please him. That God is just too hard and too demanding. Those are lies that I've been tempted to believe. I don't know about you, but I've been tempted to believe them. Which is ironic, because I grew up in the church. At the age of eight, I was baptized. And I said I was getting baptized because I love Jesus and I want to follow him the rest of my life. And I meant it. And I have. But not because I'm so good. I have because that baptism was a covenant that God was faithful to keep. That even when I got distracted, even when I got rebellious, and I went wayward, He was faithful to bring me back. And my life is proof that following Jesus is the good life. I don't have everything... But I know I have everything that matters. I'm so blessed. Our house is a place of peace and joy that we enjoy every day. And that's the work of God. It's not of us. And I'm so glad he got a hold of me when I was young before I could make really stupid decisions, which I'm sure I would have. Um, That even despite all of that, even despite I can look at my life and I can see the goodness of God in my life, there are still times I have been tempted to believe that what he expects of me is too much. And that following him is too hard. And there's been times I've I've thought about throwing in the towel on following Jesus wholeheartedly. Not not just my faith entirely, but making him the center of my life. Because sometimes it just seemed too demanding and too hard. And yet, when I look back on those times, when I was tempted to believe those things, it was never because of what God had done. It often was because of things that happened in the church. Amen. Things that other people in the church had told me that were expected of all Christians. And if you're a Christian, you should do this and you should not do this. And and it just became this like long list of rules that 
seemed to micromanage every minute of my life and I could never live up to. Sometimes it was cruel things that people said or did. And I would just think, this is too hard. My friends, never mistake God's people for God himself. Do not mistake his people for himself. Their expectations, their behavior does not always reflect the expectations and behavior of God. One of the themes that we see over and over in Matthew is that many of the people who were the most religious, the most church-going people, weren't actually followers of God at all. Amen. And that still happens today. And even for those who do truly follow Jesus, they're just imperfect people. Jesus' true disciples were this band of misfits. They absolutely were. And so even people who truly follow God don't always read situations right, don't always communicate right, don't always behave right. Don't mistake God's people for God himself. God is far more gracious than we are. And he promises that he's a good master, that following him and serving him is joy. That those who serve the Lord will share in his happiness. That's the promise. And some of you, as we've been talking about like this prayer of sending workers into God's harvest and serving the Lord, and you're just like, I can't do that. I'm not a pastor. You know, that's just like way over my head. I don't even know. Like, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. God equips his servants just differently according to what? According to their own ability. Yeah. And even at minimum, the way he has equipped you, equipped you is a whole lot of something. <laughs> right? Amen. It is. He doesn't um, equip everyone to be a preacher. Can you imagine that? If we were all equipped to be preachers? <laughs> Those worship services would be crazy. <laughs> it would be chaos, right? No. He does not compare us. Like we compare each other. He doesn't. And serving him is far simpler than you think. In fact, he talks about it in the very next parable. So let's read. Let's keep reading. Verse 31. And Jesus talks about what it is to serve him. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? I mean, that's just weird. Like, when, when is Jesus ever sick, right? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Amen. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or... Or sick or in prison and not help you. He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Simply put, serving in God's harvest means not living for yourself. Amen. It means not living for yourself. It means realizing everything you have is a good gift from God and using it not for yourself, but to help others. That's how simple it is. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's what he asks. He asks us to be like him. He left his comfort in heaven. He could have said, look at all those messed up people. I don't want to go near them. But he didn't. He chose to come and walk this earth and teach us how to live and pay the debt for our sins. And he just asks that we, in gratitude, will then try to help others, not living for ourselves. And as we do, we will share in our Master's happiness. Guys, I want you to... Contrast this with the world's message. We kind of talked about it at the very beginning. This message that living for yourself results in your happiness. It's not true. It's just not true. That pursuing all our own desires and pursuing what we want, that doesn't lead to happiness. That leads to isolation. It leads to isolation and depression. And the the message of Jesus is instead of living for ourselves, live for others. And through that, we will share in God's happiness. To truly share in His happiness. Live for the things of God. Invest in the things of God. 
And his promise of happiness is not empty like the world's. It's not fake likes on social media. His promise of happiness is true and it's eternal. Amen. Um, I'm going to pray in a moment. But I just wanted to um, give you some options of how to respond to the message today. We're to love the Lord our God, to worship Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But basically with all of us, right? And sometimes in worship we just sit back and we think things, but we don't take any action. And we need to take action. We need to worship God with all of us. And so there's some different ways that you can take action. Um, the worship team is going to sing. You can sing. Um, confession of sins is another one. Maybe there's something that through the course of this message or the service God has brought to your mind that you need to confess. About two weeks ago, God had brought to my mind a few different times that I had an attitude that was sinful and wrong. And... Um, and I got convicted and got, I was like, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that way. I'm, you know, help me not to think that way anymore. And then the next day I said the same thing again. I'm like, God, I'm sorry, I know that was wrong. And the next day, God, I'm sorry, I know that was wrong. Like by the fifth day, I'm like, why am I still confessing this to God every day? Have you ever done that? And I'm like, it's like I feel like he's not hearing me or I haven't made the confession official or I don't know that I keep repeating it day after day. And I said, you know what, I need to come to the altar and just make it official. And so on Monday, I came in here, and we have back there these little pieces of paper. And it says, you know, if there's a sin you need to confess. So I wrote it down there, and I lit the candle on the altar, and I said, Lord, I confess this to you, and I thank you for forgiving me, and I burnt it. And then I had peace. I just had peace. You know, sometimes... We just need to take a physical action to concrete it for us. So if there's something that you need to confess, you can write it and go and burn it back by the cross. There's a little altar with a candle of hyssop and a little bowl you can drop it in and watch your sin burn away. Okay? James talks about um, confessing sin one to another so that you may be healed. Sometimes... Um, we have sin that has just buried us in shame. And, and we need someone to speak God's truth to us that we're forgiven. Um, so if you need that, you can go back there and write this, your sin on a piece of paper, hand it to me, I'll read it, and then I'll look you in the eyes. And I'll just like, you are forgiven. God has forgiven you. And just speak that truth over you. Sometimes we need to let people be Jesus with skin on and speak his truth over us. And then you can go burn it if you need to. You might not need to confess it. But if you need, I'll be back there. I'll be back there to pray with anyone who wants to be prayed with. Maybe um, you have a prayer concern and you don't need anyone to pray with you. You can come and bring it and put it in one of our prayer bowls. We've been doing this for a while now. But in Revelation, it has this beautiful imagery that the prayers of the saints are collected in bowls of gold. 
We can afford gold bowls, but, you know. <laughs> it's just the imagery that counts. And so there are, there's paper in the baskets. If you have a praise, a thanksgiving, a, a, a offer of thanksgiving, the Bible talks about bringing our offerings of thanksgiving. You can come and put it in the bowl. If you have a, something you're burdened with and you want to request that prayer, take that request to God, you can come and put that in a bowl. And the folded ones are never read. If you would like me to pray with you, just leave it unfolded, and I will pray over those. And you can sign your name to it, or you can do it anonymously. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about is baptism. I'm not going to baptize today, but on Easter we'll baptize people. And baptism is a way of not just consenting in our mind, but with our whole bodies to follow Jesus. And making a covenant with him that his Holy Spirit then comes and lives in us and, and holds us too. Not because we can, but because he can. And if you've never taken that step of baptism, you just meet me back by the cross. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Or maybe your child wants to. It's not something parents can choose for their children. It has to be the child's desire. But I'll tell you what, I've had parents talk their kids out of baptism because they say, you can't keep this commitment yet. You're not old enough. It's not about us keeping our commitment to God. It's about Him keeping the commitment to us. So if your child has that desire, loves Jesus, and wants to follow Jesus, you let them be baptized. Okay? You pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the good master. Sometimes I think you believe in us way more than we believe in ourselves. That you would entrust us with so much. From, from the beginning of the world, you entrusted us to rule over the earth. And you still entrust us with many good things. God, we confess that we often are tempted to believe lies about you. And God, I want to pray for anyone here today who has struggled with lies about you, that you are not good, that you are too hard, that you're too demanding, and that it's nearly impossible to please you. And God, I just pray your spirit speak to those people and assure them of your love and grace. God, for those who have believed lies about themselves, that they have messed up too much, or they have nothing good to offer, Holy Spirit, speak to them about who you created them to be. Children of God made in your image and empowered by your Spirit. Lord, I pray you give us courage to keep serving you 
even when it gets difficult. I pray you give us hope to remember your promises of eternal happiness. And God, I pray you open our eyes that we will see the opportunities to serve you that are right in front of us. Not every opportunity, but the opportunities according to our own ability that you are calling us to. May we be wise and faithful servants of you, the Most High God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.